Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to see you guys back tonight. Thank you for those of you who came back. For those of you who didn't come back, we didn't like you anyway. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, well, it is great to have you guys back. Welcome to week four of the Alpha Course. How many of you guys, it's your fourth week. You've made all four, not if your table host doesn't count. Okay, well, great. Well, keep on coming. Like I said, graduation's going to be great. So I want you to be here. So anybody here for the first time? Any first timers? Blaine, there you are. Okay, well, welcome, ladies, all ladies. Well, tonight we are on page 24, How Can We Have Faith is the title of our session tonight. Now, as we've talked about over the course of the last three weeks, whether it was Pastor Keith or or me for the last couple weeks, uh, we've talked about the fact that the fact that everyone has faith, everyone breathing has faith, believes in something uh, for whatever reasons, either based on evidence that they have or just they grew up believing a particular thing. So I think tonight could be better said as particularly, I think, a question that we would love to have an answer to. Can I be sure of what I believe? Can I be sure of what I believe? And I, and I think that is a question tonight that we'll be able to, to tackle because particularly in the area of religious faith, I think we've assumed, we've believed... We felt that you really can't know anything for sure. And so as we get into this tonight, again, I, I know last week was challenging. Uh, this week will be challenging. Uh, but hopefully what it will help us do is to more critically think through why do I believe what I believe and why do I not believe what I do not believe. And so... I think tonight's session will be helpful to us. And you know, through the years, like I said, most of us have been exposed to some, some interesting concepts about um, what happens on the other side of our last heartbeat. And it's basically been based off of, as I talked to you before, this, this model of religion, this validating performance record model of religion, where I'm, it's basically relativist, where it's, it's man that is making an effort to reach God, and there's a chasm between us and God, and we know none of us is perfect, but we're hoping that, that we're hoping that God is going to, to let us in, even though we're not perfect. And every religion I shared with you under the sun, with the exception of biblical Christianity, you know, whether that's Islam or Hinduism or Mormonism or Buddhism, or as I share with you, really the fastest growing religion is the religion of whatever. It really is. I mean, that's where we are. Just, you know, whatever works for you is fine. Just, you know, let me believe whatever I want to believe. And so, and so, and all that has to do with really keeping the rules. But the fact of the matter is, um, we don't even keep our own rules. I mean, the NFL referees don't keep their own rules. I mean, yeah. Just incredible. Um, but we believe if we keep the rules, then God's going to have to let us in. He must let us in. He can't keep us out. But the problem is we don't know what the rules are. But even when we have rules, like you have rules that you've given yourself. You've had dietary rules you've given yourself, right? And you haven't kept those. Particularly if you're here and you have dietary rules and you're eating dinner, I know you're not keeping those rules. Um, but whatever they may be, I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to exercise more. All these things we're going to do. And, and, then, and we don't like those rules. Now, we love putting rules on other people. 
Don't we? I love telling other people what they should do. But I don't even keep the rules I tell other people that they should keep. So in, in a, I'm, I'm really a mess. But I want to share with you some, some rules here, some pool rules from the, uh, from the... This is one of my favorite things here. The Arlington Gateway Hotel. These are the pool rules. These are the things they want you to adhere to at the Arlington Gateway Hotel, 801 North Glebe Road, Arlington, Virginia. So if you ever go there... These are the pool rules. If you've had diarrhea in the past two weeks, please do not use the pool. But do not use the pool for what, is what I'm wondering. Uh, Shower your child and yourself before entering the pool or after using the toilet. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, what do you even need to know this for? It's crazy stuff. Number three, uh, bathers who are not toilet trained or incontinent adults must wear a swim diaper. (laughs) Now, but just to show you, nobody keep, they don't expect you to keep these rules. There's rule four. Do not drink the pool water. (laughs) So there are, there are rules everywhere and... I just don't seem to keep them. So last week we, we looked at scriptures that presented some challenges to us. We looked at um, in Paul's letter to the Romans. In chapter 3 he says that everyone has sinned. Everyone has failed. Everyone has missed the mark. And come short of that which is acceptable to God. Our lives, who we are in terms of how we live and how we think. Make us accept, unacceptable to a holy God according to the Bible. It tells us that none of us is right with God. Not even one of us. And that there's nothing that you and I can do to commend ourselves to God. And look, that's hard to swallow. Particularly if you've lived your whole life, like I had lived my life. If you've lived your whole life trying to commend yourself to God by your church attendance or your prayers or your giving or the way you treat people. What we've been talking about is a completely 180 degree diametrically opposed position to that. So, but it is universal. We develop or design a view of God where we define how good we need to be based on our own meology. What I believe. And we hope that in being what we have put in ourselves or believe in ourselves is going to be good enough, we hope to somehow earn the acceptance of a supreme being. And, and from that comparative religious model, you and I get a, a few different examples that you may be able to identify with here. Some examples that, that we may think about as it pertains to God. So maybe, maybe God grades on a curve. You know, you get to heaven, maybe he grades on a curve. He's not going to flunk the whole class, and so he grades on a curve. Well, the question is, what do I have to do to fail, and what do I have to do to pass? Well, that X right there, I mean, is, are any of you going to, if you set the curve yourself, which all of us do, are you going to fail yourself? Unless you really hate yourself, or are you going to really fail yourself? None of us is going to fail ourselves. But maybe, do you think God grades on a curve? Would you really be secure in your faith if you believe God graded on a curve? I don't think so. I mean, unless you really, I'm a prideful snot. I mean, I just can't, but maybe so, maybe so. Maybe, um, maybe there's scales in heaven. 
You know, you've heard this. I mean, there's scales, and you know, on, on one side of the scale, uh, there's the bad things you've done, right? And on the other side of the scale, there's the there are the good things you've done. There must be more than that, please. The the good things I've done. All right. So so, but the, here's the question: Who determines what's good? Who determines that what I've done has been with the right motive? Uh, let's say I have an elderly grandmother and um, I'm always over there on Sundays cleaning up and helping her. I'm going to the grocery store for her. But if I have that thought monitor propped up on my head, you see me sitting there before the attorney at the last will and testament reading hoping that my good works have gotten me into her inheritance. See, I, I may be doing all the right things and have all the wrong motives. Who determines what's good enough? Think about that. So how, how comfortable would you be if you found yourself dead and there was a set of scales in heaven? Would you feel real secure about that? But you know what? I've talked to more than one person that believes this. That God's going to look at my good works. He's going to look at my bad works. And if my good works outweigh my bad works, I'm in. Huh. Okay. Maybe, maybe, you know, things in heaven can get kind of boring. And maybe, you know, with all just the heart playing and the clouds and all that other stuff, maybe God just kind of gets bored and, and he comes up with a, a game show. Right? A game show. And I, I think this is great. And he comes up with a game show. And the game show... I love it. has got a band and everything else. The game show is called... The game show is called... Hot or Not. Now, the way this... The way this... Okay, you can cut the band out, please. The band. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, let's go back. Please? Okay. So the way you play hot or not is, is that there's a, like a big roulette wheel. And the roulette wheel at every space is a person that has lived throughout history. And you stand in one spot. God spins the roulette wheel. And the person that comes up next to you, if you are, will determine if you are hot or not. If you were better than they were, then you'll not be hot. If you're worse than they are, you will be hot. Do you like the game? You don't like the game? Oh, come on. Somebody want to play. Now, the first rule to playing hot or not is you have to be dead. So do I... Anybody in here dead? All right. Cody, I know you're not dead. But look, all you have to do is say stop. We're going to spin the wheel, okay? And when you say stop, we'll stop and we'll see who comes up next to you. All right, so let's hear you. Just tell me, just tell me when. We're spinning the wheel. Stop. Oh. <laughs> I think you're okay. I think you're okay. <laughs> I hope you're okay. Okay, Dante, let's spin the wheel. Just tell me when to stop. Stop. Oh. I think you're all right. All right, let's try. Let's see if how we're doing here. Let's see one more. Armando, my brother from South Florida. Let's see if you're hot or not. Just say stop. Stop. Oh! <laughs> Mother Teresa. Would the ushers please come and escort Armando? To... Now, I know that's kind of crazy, but. Really, don't, don't you, and I would encourage you to do this, just, 
if, if this is the way you want to live, then just stay around really bad people. Okay? Hang around cartel members and gang members and just be a little bit better than them so that you'll know, you'll you have a better chance of getting to heaven based on this, this relativistic way of looking at things. Now, can I give you good news? Yes. The Bible doesn't teach any of that. It teaches the exact opposite of this. But when I was into my meological relativism, then I basically, as I said, made God in my own image and I did what I wanted to do and not wanted to do, hoping God would be okay with that. So that if I did have an untimely death, I would be all right. So, so here's it really is the question. Do you know? I mean, as you're sitting here tonight... You're kind of thinking about the curves or the... Are you thinking about the scales? Or I'm not sure nobody's come up with the game show way of, uh, of theology. But let me, just, let me just ask this question. Maybe this will help. I hate to break this to, to you, but tonight, some of you, uh, your food was poisoned. Um, and the way you know whether or not it was you is you're, you're feeling sleepy right now. Has nothing to do with me. It's just it's the food. But imagine if that was you, and all of a sudden, you know, your head just hits the plastic table, and you're gone. And suddenly, in your spirit, you are standing before Jesus Christ. Okay, go go there with me. Just I mean, you can't go there, but just go there in your mind with me. You're standing before Jesus, and he says, "I told you not to trust those people," uh, and he says. I bet you didn't expect to be here so soon. So, but let me ask you a question. And he comes up and he asks you a question. And this is the question he asks you. Now, I need you to think now. Think for yourself right now. You're standing before Jesus. You are dead. You're not coming back into this planet. And he says to you, be ready for your answer. Why should I let you into my heaven What are you thinking about? Are you starting to compile an inventory in your mind of all the things you've done well or good? That's what I'd have done. In my meology, that's exactly what I'd have done. But that is not what the Bible teaches. It teaches something completely opposite of that. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Let's just go back to his, his letter to the church at Rome. He says, But if it, that is salvation, being forgiven, being brought to God, is by grace. Remember last week we talked about what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. It's receiving that which you do not deserve. It is no longer on the basis of a curve. It's no longer on the basis of scales it's no longer on the basis of hot or not otherwise grace is no longer grace do, do you see that see this is what the, it's either our works our attempted efforts or it's christ's work and there is a big thick bar that separates the two and nobody balances on that bar now, you may not believe this, the Bible's true, and, and that's okay. That's, but it, like as, I, as I've said, at least you'll know what the Bible says and does not say. 
The Bible never ever teaches that you and I could be good enough. There is no certainty in that. There is no assurance in that. There is nothing but hope and keep your fingers crossed in that. The question is, what do I believe? If I'm standing in front of Jesus, what is my answer? Is is it my answer my enumerated efforts? Or am I trusting His work? I'm either trusting my works or I'm trusting His work. This is a meological system, a relativistic system based on trying to be good enough. This system is my surrendering and saying I am not good enough in myself and I trust what another did for me. Just like the judge last week that we talked about. So, what will I believe? That it's God's effort or my effort? So, and you know, again, the, the, the fact of the matter is, none of us want to believe a lie. I don't want to believe a lie. Does anybody here want to believe a lie? Nobody wants to believe a lie. That's why we should investigate these things and look into these things. And if I've believed a particular way my entire life, I may be totally sincere, but I may be totally sincerely wrong. That is possible. And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of times today we'll say, particularly as we're, we're becoming more and more relativistic in the way we think, you know, we say, well, you know, it's really not what you believe, but that you believe. Have you ever heard that? It's not what you, has anybody ever heard it's not what you believe, but that you believe? If you haven't heard it, I'll just go on. Okay, that's like four of you in the room. That's amazing. So, it's not what you believe, but that you believe. Just be sincere. But do we really live that way? How, what if somebody said, you know, it's not really what you eat, but that you eat. It's not what you breathe, but that you breathe. It's not what you invest in, but that you invest in something. It's not what you marry, but that you marry. Well, maybe that is getting more and more true. Um, but none of us live that way. None of us live life in a day-to-day without investigation. That's why this, the Alpha course is to help us investigate. So, okay, how can we have faith? We're on page 24 still. I haven't moved on from page 24. Um, so here, the Bible teaches us. This is what the Bible teaches. Again, don't believe me. Check it out for yourself. The Bible teaches that God wants you and me to know with as much certainty that we can have this side of, the, this side of our last heartbeat what our standing before Him is. He wants us to know surely. And if I had a hope, if I had a desire for tonight, and I do... If I had a goal for tonight, if I could place that on you, it would be that every one of us in this room would leave here tonight certain of our standing before God, certain of what God believes, and more clear about what we believe. That is so, I would say that that is so important, that with certainty we would either believe what the Bible says or not believe what the Bible says. So, so this, this is something that I discovered about the Bible. I thought was, it really began to change the way I looked at Christianity. You may want to write this down if you'd like to. It's just a short statement that says, Christianity is first about becoming someone before It's about doing something. Christianity is first about becoming someone before it's about doing something. 
You know, many of us think, so um, we grow up in a particular denomination and we do certain things. And those certain things that we do make us okay. That's not a biblical way of looking at things. The Bible says you and I must first become someone. Something new has to happen inside of us. Let's just, again, let's, well, why do you believe that? Well, let's just see what the Bible has to say about that. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. It's his second letter to the Corinthians. It's in the fifth chapter, 17th verse. This is what, this is what Paul says. He says, when someone becomes a Christian, now check these words out. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person on the inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. So Paul is telling us here is that there is a beginning that takes place when someone becomes a Christian. He becomes a brand new person on the inside. Not the same anymore. The Bible, another translation says, the old is gone, the new has come. So, and, and here's something probably too that you haven't heard, which kind of goes crosswise with the way I just assumed through the years and learned through the years. Is that the Bible teaches that we are born physically. You know, you've all said we're all children of God. We're all children of God is what we've heard it say. Well, the, I would have an issue with the, the Bible would have an issue with me if I believed that, which I once did. The Bible does not teach that we are all children of God. The Bible teaches that we're all creations of God. We are born physically as creations of God. But when we surrender to Christ, we are born spiritually. As a child of God, we're born as creations of God physically, but when we are spiritually unplugged from death, if you remember the analogy from last week, and plugged into life, we, are, we die to death, if you remember this if you were here last week, and we are born into a new life. That's what the Bible says. There could be a couple more examples of that. Here's John chapter 1, verse 11 and 13. He, that is Jesus, came to his own, that is the Jews, but his own... The Jews did not receive him, but to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to, there's that word again, become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, last week, Garrett and I played with this little remote control. I asked him if he wanted to receive this, and he did, okay? Okay. To as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become. You can't become something you already are. Can you? And I, I, things are kind of strange out there today, but I can't say to David, David, become a male. Well, that's ridiculous, Frank. I, I, I am a male, of course. See, but you are not, you can't become what you are, already are. So there's something that's got to be taking place after we're born, according to God's agenda, according to God's truth and His Word. He gave the right to become children of God. And here's what Jesus said to a, a very religious, wealthy man by the name of Nicodemus. And you guys may spend some time in that in our table talk after I'm done here. He says this. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So John is a DeLuca, all right? I love that last name, DeLuca. What does it mean? Of what? Luca. Of Luca, of course, yeah. John, John DeLuca. 
Um, so Deluca, flesh gives birth to flesh. Deluca gives birth to Deluca. But spirit gives birth to spirit. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you're born once physically. But he's saying here, you not, must not be surprised by my saying you must be born again. Because when we are born physically according to the scripture, because of our sin, we are born spiritually separated from God. Because of our father, Adam. So flesh gives birth to flesh. First birth. Spirit gives birth to spirit, second birth. Do you see that? I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm just saying that's what Jesus is saying. That which is born of Collins is Collins. Loria is Loria. Hawkins is Hawkins. McConnell is McConnell. It's 100%. That's the way it works. And so 100% of us are born into this body, the flesh. The question is, are you born of the spirit? Are you born again? That's the question that Jesus is asking us. That's the question he asked Nicodemus. And so the Bible teaches the entire human race was born children of Adam. And I have my props here tonight to help me here. These were saved so no, no environmental damage was happened. We've, we've used these over again. Um, but so the ramification of this. So this, this represents Adam, okay? That big A there is Adam. And everyone that was born, whether it's DeLuca or Loria or whatever, is born into Adam, right? And so this is, this is basically our, this is mankind all shoved into that cup right there. And let me just, again, let me share with you another scripture because I don't want you to believe me. This is what Paul writes. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Now, remember last week, we talked about Adam. Got two trees in the garden. Tre- trees among all the trees in the garden. He says, this one tree, don't eat it. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Death, not annihilation, but separation. Just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Just through, through Adam, sin entered into the world. And death, separation through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. Well, wait a minute. I wasn't even born when he did this. What are you talking about? Well, all I have to do is look at your life and I recognize you. You know, you look like Jeff. You look like Adam. <laughs> really think about that. Celeste, you, you look just like your father, Adam. Why do you say that? Because you look at the life of a two-year-old, a two-month-old. We want what we want when we want in the heck with you. It doesn't matter whether you're four months old or 40 years old or 80 years old. It's, we, we have a family resemblance. You say, well, that's not fair. It's not a question of fair. It's a matter of inheritance. Okay, if Matthew's father dies and leaves him $10 million which he didn't, but if he had left him $10 million and my dad died and left me $10 million in debt, that's not a question of fairness. Matthew's dad left him $10 million. My dad didn't. Why did he get it? Because he is his son. He inherited that. I inherited what I inherited because of my dad. So we inherit that. 
Death spread to all because all sinned. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation, death to all men and women in Adam, even so through the one act of righteousness there there resulted justification and life to all men. This is fascinating. So what we're talking about here is is, is being in Adam or... Here come, I'm adding my second prop here, in Christ. So the whole of the world is either in Adam or in Christ. Let me just give you an analogy of this. Paul says this, For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Through one man's obedience, the one, the many, will be made righteous. So let me show you this. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, For in Adam... In Adam, all die. In Adam, all die. Do you see yourself in there? Okay. In Adam, all die. So let me just show this. So here's Adam. There's you. See, being in Adam, we inherit. This is what we inherit. Hell, death, and separation from God. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that. We inherit that from God. Now, John, let me just ask you this question again because you're here and you're close to me and you're very kind. Okay, so John, let's say that is you. Now, John, where would you be? Where would you be if your mom and dad had never been? You wouldn't have been. You wouldn't have existed. And what about your mom and dad's mom and dad? Right. So same thing. If you if your mom and dad hadn't been, and your mom and dad hadn't been, you wouldn't be. So in a real way, who's your daddy? Adam. Correct. Okay, do you see that? You just follow the lineage back. Now, Christ comes into the world. He dies on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And not just for our sins, for us, the sinner. And the Bible tells us that he took all of our sins and our sinfulness on that cross and he paid for all the inheritance that we would receive from Adam. And what's the inheritance we receive from Adam? Hell, death, and separation from God. So he came to give us life. He came to give us eternal life. Eternal life that has no beginning and no end. Well, what happens? See, when in Christ, the many shall be made alive. And so when I receive the gift, something happens in that transaction. When I surrender, when I say, Lord, I'm tired of being a meologist. Come and take over my life. The Bible says that God takes me out of death places me into life, takes me out of Adam, and he places me into Christ, and I become what the Bible calls a new creation. If any man or any woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, this is the old, is gone. And now all God does is see you, not as perfect in everything you do, Not as a perfect son or daughter, but like I said last week, perfectly his son or his daughter. Because we're taken out of death. You see, in every religion, this is what you're going to say. Try to be better. Try to do better. Keep these rules. Keep these regulations. What the scripture says is you can't do it. And even if you could, you'd still be in Adam. Why... Just go back for a second. Why do you think 
Jesus had to be born of a virgin or born of Mary. Just some cool trick God thought he could play. Hey, let me show you what I can do. Think about that. See, if he's born of Joseph, he is disqualified from being Savior of the world because he is born into death. Do you see that? It's an important thing to see. So Christianity is not about how moral you are. It's who are you inheriting from. Now, when one receives Christ, believe me, the power of God comes inside of you to live like you never imagined. And suddenly you have a different motivation for life. But what we see here is if anyone is in Christ, God says before him, based on what he did, not upon what you and I do, we are a new creation. The old is gone in his eyes. And the new has come. The issue is about family. I'm either born into the family of Adam or I'm born again into the family of Christ. You do not want to be born into Adam's family because that, that would just be a, a damn shame. Um, so, anyway, let's... Shame I couldn't get the snapping fingers on that. So, see, in religion, so in religion, this is what happens. In religion... We try to do everything we can so that we can hopefully become something. Just get enough energy going. Get that curve. Be on the right side of the bell curve. Get enough good works going so they outweigh the bad works. Make sure I'm better. I may not be perfect, but I'm better than all of you people. You know, those are the things that we look for. We compare ourselves to others, but we compare ourselves to the wrong person. The person we're being compared to is the perfect Jesus Christ And God says, now, if you compare yourself to my son, you will lose every time. My son came to replace you with himself. Replace his perfection for your imperfection. Remember like we talked about last week, God so loved the world that he came to give us life. To take us out of death and place us into Life In religion, you have to do to be. Biblical Christianity says this. No, because I, by God's grace, have become a new creation, now my motivation to do is totally different. See, when you're in a works-based sense, you're going to do good things. The reason you're going to do them, though, is out of fear. If I don't do it, God won't give me this. If I do do it, maybe God will give me that. It's fear-based. It's self-focused. But when I see that God has done for me what in a million lifetimes I could not do for myself, I, ex- I experience the love of God not contingent upon my goodness, but in spite of my lack of goodness. And he comes to me. And because of that, now I want to do things that please him. My motivation is others and their care not me and my preservation it's a completely different way of seeing things and the bible says god wants us to know for sure i mean what what a loving do you think i mean parents here any parents just please just raise your hand okay several parents here um 
If, if you're a loving parent, is it important to you that your child knows that he or she is your child? Is that, is that important to you? That, or do you want to keep them guessing? You know, change the locks on the door. You know, things like that. Change their name, your name, all that stuff. Move addresses, things like that. I mean, there's not a loving parent that would do that. So put God in that position. Does God desire you and me to kind of, well, I'm not really sure. Maybe so. Well, let's just look at what the Bible has to say again. Here's John. John's first letter, not the Gospel of John, but his first letter to those who have received the gift. He says this. He says, and this is the testimony, or this is the story, this is the truth, that God gave us, now he's talking about those who've received the gift. Remember that. God gave us eternal life. And where's that life? I'm sorry. He who has the Son has the life. Okay? He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you. I want to make sure I'm quoting this correctly. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may hope that you have eternal life. Pray that you have eternal life. Keep your fingers crossed that you have eternal life. Make a wager. That's what the Bible says. And you're not going to find a stronger Greek translation, or a stronger Greek word than the word that is used there. Now, how much do you... But this is what Jesus says. How much do you, fathers, being evil, desire good things for your children? How much more, then, does God, will God give to you good gifts or the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God does not want you or me to wonder. He wants you and me to leave here tonight. And I pray you will stare at the ceiling tonight. Forgive me if you don't get any sleep. All right, just please. Asking God that question if you do not know for sure. Am I your child or am I not? Because if somebody's not your dad and you run around calling them dad, what is that man going to do? He's either going to send for the police or try to find your parents, but do everything he can or she can to make sure you know, I am not your father. He won't be, maybe he needs the lawn cut so you can be my child for a weekend or something, but that's not what he's going to do. And a man who is your father and who loves like this God purportedly loves through the scripture, does not want you to wonder. If you have the Son, you have the life. If you do not have the Son, God is not your Father, and you do not have the life. These things I've written to you who believe in the Son of God, who've received the gift, that you may know that you have eternal life. See, eternal life is not a thing. Eternal life is life. And who's eternal? God is eternal. So that when you get eternal life, you become God's child. That's what happens to us. If what the scripture says is true. So the word of God tells us that God is the initiator. Hey, page 25. Here we go. He's the initiator. He is the one who pursues us. God came looking for us. We didn't go looking for him. It may have felt like we were looking for him, but it was not you who was looking for him. He was looking for you. He came hunting you down. 
You are here, I believe, not just because of somebody's invitation. Well, yes, it was somebody's invitation. But I believe it was somebody's invitation behind that somebody's invitation. Here, again, here's, here's the Apostle Paul again. For God, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still in Adam, he did not wait for us to clean up our act. I have heard that so many times. Well, let me just, you know, it's not a good time right now. Let me just, let me work on some things. Let me try to get, in other words, let me try to clean up my house. Let me try to get a little bit better. You'll never come. God's not looking for a clean house. Because he'll never find a clean house. You, do you understand that? He'll never, you'll never, what the scripture says, you will never be clean. Remember, out of the inside of us comes pollution, is what Jesus said. So, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. See, his blood comes to cleanse us. Much more shall we be saved, given new life. Saved out of Adam placed into Christ and placed from the wrath of God, the result of dying without Christ covering, the result of dying thinking the curves are good, thinking the bell scale or the, or the, or the scales are, are good. And so, here's what Ezekiel says, hundreds of years before Jesus. Now, now would you do this? Okay, just look at this. This is what God wants you and me to know. Right here. Right here. He wants you and me to know this. So read this. Would you just read this for you? Don't read it for the room. Don't read it for the Jews. Don't read it for the Italians. Just read it for you. Here's Jesus saying, the Lord speaking, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Does that describe any of you in this room? Of course it does. I will heal the brokenhearted. That's what he does because when you know you have a dad that loves you, you know you're secure. When you know you have someone that is there that doesn't constantly condemn you, but one that loves you completely in spite of you that would have been me and every one of us in this room there is a sense of peace look I will look at this I myself will make them lie down when do you lie down? you lie down or are you freaking out? no you lie down when you feel secure and comforted I will seek you who's the lost? the lost are all who are in Adam. They're the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. I will bring you back and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. That is what God says. He comes knocking on our door. That's what he does. He knocks at the door of our heart. The question is, will we open the door? Or will we continue to see a house full of trash and try to clean it up? Will we respond? Will we give him the silent treatment? He wants us to know for sure. Here's the Gospel of John. Jesus says this. I I love this scripture. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Okay? Those who are listening for me hear my voice. 
and I know them. This is what Jesus says. And they follow me. And I give, there's that word again, give eternal life to them and they will never die, never perish, never be separated from me. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I think if this guy is almighty God that created all things, he's got a pretty good grip. This is, this is not dependent upon me wrestling free because what this tells me is I can't wrestle free. He's got me. He came looking for you and for me. I give life to them. I give them eternal life. When he gives us eternal life, what does he give us? He gives us himself. He who is eternal life. And we get placed into Christ. And Christ, the Bible says, gets placed into us. And he gives us a new heart. We'll talk more about that in, in week seven. We're talking about an exchange of lives here. He says, I will take on your death so that you can take on my life. No one can snatch us out of his hand. Now, let's go to Niagara Falls for just a minute here. Let's just take a little vacation here. Um, there was a guy by the name of Blondin, um, Charles Blondin. He was 31 years old, June 30th, 1859. And he, he took a tightrope and he took that tightrope from one side of Niagara Falls to the next. It actually wasn't the falls, it was the rapids. People have survived that fall, by the way. I'm, don't, I wouldn't suggest you try it. But people have survived that fall. But across the rapids, if anybody's ever fallen into the rapids, no one has ever survived falling into the rapids. But what Blondin did was he took a rope and he strung it from one side of the rapids to the next. Now imagine that he actually did that. And he did amazing things. And imagine that all of us came to watch Blondin do those amazing things things with his feet and he balanced back and forth and just did incredible things and uh and Blondin said hey you know I can take a person and put him in a wheelbarrow and take them from one side of the rapids to the next and he gets in front of the crowd and he asks for volunteers and would anybody like to get in the wheelbarrow I'll do that and nobody volunteered so he took his manager, literally took his manager, put him in the wheelbarrow and took him from one side of the falls to the next. Brought him back. Says, anybody now believe that I can take a person, put him in a wheelbarrow and take him from one side of the falls to the next? Anybody believe here that I can do that? Anybody here in the room believe I can do that? Then get in. Oh, okay, wait, 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 wait. I mean, it, it, it's one thing for me to believe that you can do it. It's another thing for me to believe that you do it. You see, because I can say, sure, I believe you can do that. But I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow. Well, then I, do I believe you can do that? See, I can believe about Blondin's ability to do that. But when I commit 100% of my self to his care control of my life is lost to what he already showed me he could do that's when I believe you see Jesus took himself 
And he went from death to life so that he could take us from death to life. Well, how does that happen? I receive the gift. I get in the wheelbarrow. See, so tonight you're here, and, and, and this is great. We're just glad you're here, no matter what you're, where you are in terms of your belief. Our hope is that just you're hearing this. So you're here and you're curious. Maybe you've heard this stuff all your life. Maybe you've never heard it before. And you're saying, I just don't really know anything about this stuff. But I'm curious. I'm not sure I believe a word you're saying, but I'm curious. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm open to knowing more. Maybe you're here and you're you're convinced. Convinced would be, yeah, I believe that. Curious would be, I'm not so sure you can take a person. I may have seen it, but I don't believe you can take a person and put them in a wheelbarrow and do that. Convinced is, yeah, I believe you can take a person and do that, but I'm not getting in. See, look, I had gone to church my whole life, believed a lot of things about Jesus, had no idea it was in a Bible, no idea that he was in, interested in my getting in a wheelbarrow, that I even needed to get into a wheelbarrow, that why would anybody need to get into a wheelbarrow? Um, but I did that. I surrendered my life to him. But for, for 19 years of my life, I was convinced I believed about him, but I was not going to trust him with my life. I was convinced, but I wasn't committed. See, when I commit myself to him, I get in the wheelbarrow, and what I do is this. I commit 100% of me to 100% of him. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, what are you doing when you're in the wheelbarrow? What does committed mean when you get in the wheelbarrow, when you surrender? It doesn't mean take over halfway. It doesn't mean that. Commitment here means I am committed Blondin, Jesus, to your commitment to take me from the dash to the line. I'm believing that you will keep me here and the day my heart stops, I will be with you forever. But I'm not trusting in my commitment to Christ. I'm trusting in Christ's commitment to me. So I'm committed to his commitment to me. Does that, does that make sense to you? Typically we think of a commitment like I'm going to pull up myself by my bootstraps. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be better. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to give more money. None of those things is what being committed in a biblical sense is. But when I commit myself to his commitment to me, I am free from having to work for anything ever again. And now I am free to love like I never could before. Because I don't need anything from you. Because the one who knows me best has loved me in spite of me. And promised me life in the dash and life forever in the line. See, that's amazing. It's amazing that he does that. Alright, almost done here. Let's go back. Let me just give you one more example of that in terms of this. So... Um, as you guys know, Annette and I have been married for 41 years and two weeks and one day. Um, but let's say it's our, it's our wedding day. And the minister stands up and, uh, before us and um, in front of everybody, all you present at our, our, our wedding. And the, the minister says to me, Frank, do you take Annette to be your, your wife? And I say, well, preacher... She's a gorgeous woman, and I'd be proud to be seen with her. 
And he says, well, Frank, yes, we, we all agree. Uh, Annette is beautiful, and uh, I can understand why you'd be proud to be seen with her. But Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? And I said, well, she's a great cook, and I know I will never go hungry. <laughs> well, Frank, I, uh, yes, I, we, we believe a lot of us have eaten Annette's food, and we, we believe that she's a great cook. But do you take Annette to be your wife? And I say, well, you know, her daddy's rich, and the day he kicks, we're going to be in pretty good shape. So, uh, but, yeah, but Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? Now, hear this. I can believe all the right things about Annette. I can believe all the right things about Jesus and never say two words that marries me to him. You know what they are. I do. You see, 2,000 years ago, if what the Bible tells us is true, if what history tells us is true, there was a cross. Um, And a man hung from that cross, bleeding. The Bible says, beaten beyond recognition. Now, if you and I were to go to that cross right now, and it's kind of an interesting visual if you want to take yourself there. This is not what the Bible says, but I don't damage the Bible when I say this to you. As he hangs there, gasping for breath, blood coming out of his face, back, ribbons of flesh he's looking at you square in the eye and he says to you this for better or worse whether you're sick whether you're healthy till death when you're with me forever I do. See, before you and I were ever born, Jesus came to earth and said to each and every one of us who were in Adam, I do. I want to be joined to you, not just in the dash. I will be joined to you in the dash, but I'll be joined to you in the line forever. That is his promise. And he wants us to be sure He wants that of us. But we can't be sure if we're basing our relationship with him upon how good we think we need to be. We will never say, I do, that way. So, so it is the work of Jesus. It is the witness of the Spirit. I'm going to skip a couple of parts here but the witness of the spirit in other words will you say frank if i say i do to jesus how, how do i know that the bible says there's a witness of god's spirit because when we say i do we become children of god and he comes into us is what the bible teaches us now look for some it's subtle for some fireworks go off i mean the many people i've heard that they've said i do to jesus their lives are transformed in many ways as i said some are subtle some are ecstatic. I, I don't know. God, is, God knows exactly how he reaches every one of us and what the reception is going to look like. I, I don't know. But he does. Um, but there are evidences 
of, of being in the wheelbarrow, of, of saying I do, of receiving the gift. Uh, there's a new and a different love for God. Suddenly your motivations, for me, I just woke up the next morning, I wanted to read the Bible. I never had an interest in reading the Bible. Suddenly I had a, a, an awareness, it's like my, my, my senses were heightened, my nerve endings were heightened. I was aware of life like I'd never been aware of life before. Um, and that continues 41 years later. Uh, like I said, a change of my attitude and motivations, um, accepting people like I never accepted people before, feeling like this weight, this 10,000 pound weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. I felt free. Um, certain things that had been of interest to me were not of interest anymore. And I would encourage you to, tonight at your table, ask your table host, hey, what happened to you? Um, so, again, tonight, I just want to encourage you, if, if tonight is in any way connected with you, and you say, what do I have to do? You stand there before God and His Son. And 2,000 years ago, He already said, I do to you. He's just been patiently for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, waiting for you to say back to him, I do. And when we say, I do, we become his, and no one, nothing will ever snatch us out of his hand. That is his promise, because he is committed to keep the word that he has given. And so I just want to encourage you as we, as we close here tonight, just take a second, right where you are, with your eyes opened or your eyes closed. And if you are ready to die to sin and separation from God and be placed into Christ and Christ into you, you just say something like, Lord, I, I didn't know, but now I know. I relinquish life in Adam. I don't want to be separated from you. I didn't even know I was separated from you, but I see it now. Would you come into my life? Would you take me out of Adam so that I can be yours in the dash and in the line forever? Jesus, I do. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to stop now. Um, think about that. Think about that. Talk about that at your tables tonight. Um, next week, we're going to, if any of you are following in the manual, we're going to jump from session five over to session six, session six. Really an interesting chapter tomorrow night. Uh, Tuesday night. Uh, why and how do I read the Bible? Okay, you're talking about all these your scriptures you're pulling from all over the place. How do, how do I read the Bible? How, wh- what do I do? And so we're going to talk about some of those things next week at all. Uh, ne- next week also. So um, I think that's it. I think that's it. Thank you all for your attention. We greatly appreciate you being here. Let's take a quick break and we'll get back to our tables.